0: All right, let's see. We are picking up where we left off last week, and I say we because I was still listening, so I know if you were misbehaving. (laughs) (laughs) That's half the fun. So Lou Lou got you guys up through the first 10 verses of chapter 11. We are going to finish that section and then get into chapter 12, which is really the whole reason we did all of this, because we wanted to get to chapter 12 today. And by we, I just mean me and the other crazy voices in my head, because it is Thanksgiving. Now here's the fun question of the day, why? Why do you care about Thanksgiving? And the obvious answer, because you're Christians, is you're gonna give me the Sunday school answer, which is always what? Jesus. Jesus, <laughs> Jesus that's why we're thankful, but in all seriousness, why does that matter? What does that change in your world? What I mean by that is, I don't want you to just be able to sit there and say, I'm thankful, I'm glad there are things. No, no, no. I want your gladness, I want your thanksgiving to actually influence how you live in the world. If you haven't figured out after, you know three or four Sundays here, we actually care about what you do the rest of the week. Not because we want to police it, but because I actually want your understanding of Christ to matter to you day in and day out. That way, when the random Tuesday occurrences that always happen, happen, you are prepared and grounded. So prepare, prepare yourself. We're going to finish this section and then understand how that changes our focus in the world. Shall we dive right in? Because we're going we're gonna to end up having to look backwards as soon as we do it. So verse 11. Then it will happen on that day. We are going to stop right there. What day? You can't just start there and say that and then not answer that question. What day? Well, go back one whole verse. Then in that day, the nations will resort to the root of Jesse, who will stand as a signal for the peoples, and his resting place will be glorious. Everything here. You ready? This is your easy key to understand your prophets. Ooh, are we, are, is it my imagination or am I going in and out suddenly? Okay, I'm good. It's, it sounds to me like I'm going in and out, so maybe that's part of my brain catching up. There's, that's the whiplash from the highway. Yeah, so that means I'm probably somewhere about western Ohio, so I'm getting there. All right. What is that day? How do you understand Isaiah? You have to understand your prophets in light of who Christ is. When we're talking about random days in the prophets, we are typically talking about the day of the Lord, the day when everything that is wrong will be set right. You want to see this as all fulfilled in Christ. Why would I say such a weird thing? 11 1 and 2. A shoot will spring from the stem of Jesse, a branch from his roots will bear fruit, the spirit of the Lord will rest on him, the spirit of wisdom and understanding, the spirit of counsel and strength, the spirit of knowledge and the fear of the Lord. And as Lou helped you guys out with last week, that doesn't just come out of thin air either. Go back to Isaiah 9. A child will be born to us, a son will be given to us, and the government will rest on his shoulders. His name will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Eternal Father, Prince of Peace. Who in tarnation could possibly fulfill all of those titles? That is God and God alone, which is why understanding that Christ is God in flesh is so important. And in case you thought, well, there's a chapter in between, yes, yes, there is, Isaiah 10. In that day, the remnant of Israel and those of the house of Jacob who have escaped will never again rely on the one who struck them, but will truly rely on the Lord, the Holy One of Israel. So, let's come around the podium real quick. Always remember... Your Old Testament is pointing forward to the work that Christ will do. It is pointing... If you read your Bible and your understanding leaves you anywhere other than Jesus, what have you got? You've got the wrong answer. Do not pass go. Do not collect $200. Return to the beginning and figure out what went wrong. When you're reading your New Testament, if you are understanding their explanations as anything other than the fulfillment of the work of Christ in light of the history of the Old Testament, guess what you've done? You have read your New Testament wrong. Same rules apply. Go back and get this right from the beginning. So as Isaiah is building forward, as Isaiah is declaring judgment on the nations, when should we be longing for that judgment? Will there be some temporal judgment? Yes. But ultimately, when is judgment? When God is done with history. When we see the rejoicing of the salvation of the second half of the book. Are there good things and things to rejoice in now? absolutely. But where is your rest? Where is your peace? Where is your hope, Christian? It is in eternity, in that final kingdom with God. You should see this all in light of the completed work of Christ. If you get anywhere else, you have gotten to the wrong place. We'll build on that more in a minute, but just want to make sure if we don't anchor that now, there will be questions asked that we can't answer that will make us confused. So, Then it will happen in that day that the Lord will again recover the second time with his hand the remnant of his people. All right, pop quiz. You ready? When was the first time? What book? No, it wasn't Genesis, but you're close. It was Exodus. It was Exodus. Exodus chapter 6. Say therefore to the sons of Israel, I am the Lord and I will bring you out from under the burdens of the Egyptians and I will deliver you from their bondage. I will redeem you with an outstretched arm and with great judgments. Then I will take you for my people and I will be your God and you shall know that I am the Lord your God who brought you out from under the burden of the Egyptians. Now, this is the second place we're going to take a pause. Israel. In chapter 1 of Exodus, if I was going to ask you, define Israel, what would you tell me? Chapter 1 of Exodus, who is Israel? Yeah, but okay, people of God, that's nebulous. Who are they? Chosen, but that's still nebulous. Specifically, if I'm walking around Goshen, how do I know who is Israel? Children of Jacob, of Isaac, of Abraham. You would give me an ethnic designation. Now stop for a second. When they leave Egypt, the people that are counted as, e- as Israel leaving Egypt, is it only the ethnic children of Abraham? Exodus flat out tells you it is a mixed multitude. Remember, it's one of my favorite parts of Exodus. I always make a big deal out of this whenever we talk about this. Exodus was it? child. So okay, read Exodus, it'll do you good. It's somewhere between 12 and 14. When you celebrate the Passover, who can celebrate the Passover? Israel. Israel must celebrate the Passover. If you're, not, if you're a foreigner, if you're a traveler through the land, you can't celebrate the Passover. That's just commanded by God. And in the very next paragraph, he says what? If the foreigner among you wishes to celebrate the Passover, here's how he can do it. In other words, if he wishes to become part of the chosen, redeemed people of God, here's the steps so that there will be a sign moving forward. There was always supposed to be a mixed multitude. Was God's blessing supposed to be on Adam and even stop there? It was supposed to be on their offspring. Who were supposed to be their offspring? Everyone. Everyone was supposed to be their offspring. The promise given to Abraham, you will have a nation, and they will be blessed in the earth. That was the promise, right? No, it was a blessing upon him and his family and his people, and a blessing that would extend where? to the ends of the earth. Israel was always supposed to be a joinable people. Guess what? The people of God are always supposed to be a joinable people. We go out into the highways and the byways and do what? Compel them to come in. Warn them of the wrath that is to come and point them to the grace and mercy that is to be found in the completed work of Christ, which is the fulfillment of everything that God has been promising. That is what, that is what has been the work of God's people supposed to be going all the way back to the beginning. You can actually see parts of that in the Exodus. So when Moses comes before Pharaoh and says, "There's gonna be a hailstorm tomorrow, and everything left out in the field is gonna die," what did Pharaoh do? Eh, whatever. Some of Pharaoh's smarter officials said, "What? Hey, um, go go bring the cattle in. Make sure there's nobody out in the field. This is gonna get bad. We don't know what to do. <laughs> but you know what I am gonna do? I'm gonna listen to this dude that keeps speaking for Yahweh because every time he tells me something bad's gonna happen, it happens. So let's 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 yeah, bring the cattle in." And amazingly, when you brought your cattle in, what happened? They didn't die. And we've talked about this before. If you were an Israelite on the night of that first Passover and you did not put the blood on your doorpost, what happened to your firstborn? If you were an Egyptian on that night and you put the blood on your doorpost, what happened to your firstborn? He lived. It was not about being Israel or Egypt. It was about being of the people of faith in God. It was a demonstration that God has told me what's going to happen. You know how I'm going to live? I'm going to live my life in light of who God is and what he has commanded me. And trust that as I am faithful to his way, he will redeem me at the end. Has always been that way. It is that way. Now it will always be that way. Remember that as you move forward in life. Remember that as we move forward here. So, There is coming a second time, but it's going to look different than the first time. How will it look different? So he will, if I could speak English, recover the second time with his hand, the remnant of his people who will remain from Assyria, Egypt, Pathros, Cush, Elam, Shinar, Hamath, and from the islands of the sea. In other words, they are not being pulled out of a place and brought somewhere else. They are being gathered from where? Everywhere. They are being gathered from everywhere. And they will be brought to God. This is also in fulfillment of what the prophets are going to be saying. Ezekiel 36. I will take you from the nations, gather you from all the lands, and bring you into your own land. I will sprinkle clean water on you, and you will be clean. I will cleanse you from all your filthiness and from all your idols. And I will give you a new heart and put a new spirit within you. I will remove the heart of stone from your flesh, give you a heart of flesh. I will put my spirit within you, cause you to walk in my statutes, and you will be careful to observe my ordinances take humanity in the corruption of their flesh and the hardness of their heart and tell them this is what god says now do it and what will happen anything good now continually tell them that there will be judgment upon their sin if they do not follow in obedience and what will they think of you This might be why so many of our Christians know more about judgment and hell than they do about the doctrine of God and about Christ, is what has been the message we've communicated for too long in churches. (laughs) Everybody's going to hell, unless... And while there's a place for that, there's always a starting point. If that's where it ends, we've missed it. Remember, what does Romans tell you? It is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It is a recognition that judgment abides upon sin, but God being rich in his mercy because of the great love with which he has loved us. You have been saved by grace through faith. There is always another side of the coin. If it only stops, you're going to hell. You're basically Westboro. Which, by the way, I have been to an event where we've been protested by Westboro. It's actually kind of fun. <laughs> it's, it's, I will give them this you can't interact with those people. It can't be done. They live, They are trained. I don't know. I, they, apparently, they're all Marines or something because they just stand there and hold their sign. They don't look at you. They don't smile. They don't frown. I'm trying to remember if they blinked. I'm thinking because I, I mean, I'm serious. Maybe they weren't actually real people. Maybe they are robots. <laughs> there's um, the Southern Baptist Convention in Dallas when Cameron over there. They had their own little corner. And it was funny because there's a conference basically full of pastors. So everybody kept trying to go over there and talk to him, Be like, what are you so mad about? And they just stood there. And then when I was in Nashville for the conference, they, um, they had a group and they had one dude on the megaphone and he just kept telling us we were all evil and going to hell, <laughs> which is kind of fun actually. I, I hadn't been told I was evil and going to hell in a while. So I, I, it, was, it was enjoyable. <laughs> I'm weird like that. So hey, at least he cared enough to let us know. <laughs> but if that's all your message is, have you proclaimed Christ? Have you proclaimed his mercy? Have you proclaimed the righteousness that is available in the sacrifice and all that he has accomplished? No, you have not. You have stayed on one side of the coin. You have rammed your car into one ditch when there was all this lovely highway you could have driven in. We could have stayed right there and instead we have crashed. Christian, you have to remember as you live in this world that you're not just running from sin. You are not just fleeing sin. You are actively walking towards the kingdom of God. Why? Why would you do such a thing? Because if you are the natural man, you would not accept this. This is weird. Do sinners not redeemed by the Holy Spirit care about their sin? Let's in a little secret. The answer is typically no. Why do you? Because the heart has been changed. The mind has been renewed. The life has been altered. Remember, change of heart leads to a change of desires, which leads to a change of how you think in this world, which changes the way that you live in this world, inside out, always and forevermore. Because of that, you are now walking differently. You are persevering, not because you are so much smarter, but because God is so good and so great. That's the second half of the coin that we always have to remember, that it is God who has changed us. It is God who is strengthening us and is God who is carrying us to a good end, always and forevermore. So remember that as you live in this world. So Isaiah continues, verse 12. He will lift up a standard for the nations and assemble the banished ones of Israel and will gather the dispersed of Judah from the four corners of the earth. Hmm. I don't know. Anybody think of anywhere in their Bible they may have heard language like that anywhere else? Hmm. Can you? I found one. When 1,000 years are completed, Satan will be released from his prison, and he will come out to deceive the nations which are in the four corners of the earth, Gog and Magog, to gather them together for the war. Ooh, there's going to be a battle. And the number of them is like the sand of the seashore, and they came up on the broad plain of the earth and surrounded the camp of the saints in the beloved city, and fire came down from heaven and devoured them. Hey, somebody got smited. It's a good day. And the devil who deceived them was thrown into the lake of fire and brimstone, where the beast and the false prophet are also, and they will be tormented day and night forever and ever. So So in other words, we've gathered and it was accomplished. It's always one of my favorite things about Revelation. Growing up not in a Christian household, like the only thing I knew about the Bible was that there were rules. There was a creation story and there was these really cool battles at the end. That was kind of my exposure to scripture as a heathen. And then I read it and it's like, the battles are kind of anticlimactic, aren't they? Like Revelation 19, the armies of evil are assembled and they're assembled against the saints of God. And then Jesus rides in on the horse and is like, all right, you guys are all dead. We're good here. All right, pack it up. Let's go home. <laughs> and then you get to chapter 20 and Satan's like, all right, we got the armies and we've gathered everyone from the core corners. And then we get thrown into the lake of fire and we're done here. <laughs> it's like, it's like, people have written books, books describing these events. There are two verses <laughs> and it's just done with. Because when God has declared it completed, Christian, it is completed. When it is accomplished, it is accomplished. And there is no power on heaven or on earth that will undo that. And you see that in the prophetic language. This is why the prophets can speak about things that are hundreds, and in this case, coming up on thousands of years down the line. Because they are promises of God. They are as good as done, even though they are in the future as they are seeing them. Because God delivers and God accomplishes. So he will lift up a standard, assemble the banished ones, and they will be there. Isaiah comes back to this in chapter 60. Arise, shine, for your light has come. The glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the peoples. But the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. Nations will come to your light, and kings to the brightness of your rising. Hmm. Can you think of anywhere in the New Testament where that light might have been explained to you? Anywhere in detail? Anybody got a guess on what book? Do what? John. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. He was in the beginning with God, and all things came into being through him, and apart from him, nothing came into being that has come into being. That's Jesus. In him was life, and the life was the light of men, and the light shines in the darkness, and the darkness did not overcome it. So again, you want to see the promises of Isaiah as fulfilled in the completed work of Christ. You want to see the hope of the prophets as realized in the kingdom of God, the thing that you are supposed to be looking for, Christian. This is why you don't take your Old Testament, ball it up, and throw it out the window. Because you are looking for the same fulfillments that the people of God have been looking for down through the ages. You look at the world around you and go, Whew, <laughs> okay, I thought we were having a good day, and then I turned on the news, and then you know what I realized? It's eh, not going to be a good day. Because it seems like the darkness shines, which I know that sounds like an oxymoron there, but it, it does feel like that some days, doesn't it? And you realize that evil is marching, and that people are corrupted, and that minds are darkened, and that this world is a weird place, and that's where we have a tendency to stop. Christian, for every look at yourself, for every look at the world, what should you do? Take ten looks at Christ. Remember that the prophets were looking at their world, facing judgment, facing the discipline of God and saying, sin will be dealt with. There will be a cleansing from among God's people. And the hope is not in a city. The hope is not in a wall. The hope is not in a lamb that's running around in the field. The hope is in the lamb of God, in the city from on high that will redeem this creation. In other words, look forward and live in light of who God is, what he has promised you, and what that means moving forward. When we, um, we went through the book of Revelation on Wednesday night for Bible study, it was one of those recurring themes we kept coming back to. There's going to be death, and there's going to be plague, and there's going to be pestilence, and there's going to be destruction, and there's going to be judgment, and some of you are going to live through it. What should you do? Walk faithfully. But people will starve to death. Walk faithfully. People will be murdered. Walk faithfully. There will be fire and brimstone from above. Walk faithfully. There will be earthquakes and fire and armies. Walk faithfully. There will be judgment. There will be mercy. There will be death. There will be life. You walk faithfully where God has you, when he has you. I mean, where else would you rather be? And I'm serious about that. I mean, we always say this about ourselves. I wish that we lived in the world the way it was, and you, like, you turn the little dial in your DeLorean and hope. I got really bad news for you. I've told you this before. This is one of my favorite historical realizations that I've ever experienced. Experience. Um, I'm weird, so I read stuff like this on occasion. The decades of Heinrich Bullinger. Heinrich Bullinger was a German pastor in the 16th century. <laughs> I'm weird. I read old sermons, sorry. The reason I, this one sticks out at me, I've got it on my tablet, when he says I have to dig it up for you, is there's this little section in the sermon, it's written in like the 1560s, where he scolds the senior citizens in his church. You know why he scolds them? Because he says, don't say that this new generation isn't any good. That the young people aren't as good as they were in our day. Because every generation has said that from the beginning of time. And I started laughing, because what do you always hear? These kids today. When you're 80, you know what you're going to say about your grandkids? These kids today. And when they're 80, you know what they're going to say? These kids today. They've been saying it since at least documented the 1560s. In other words, there's nothing new under the sun. There's people worried about the corruption of the world, about the influences of sin, and they always think it was better before. It wasn't. You might have more information now. You might know more people now than they did back then, but it doesn't matter. Sin is sin. Humanity is humanity. And the world has been the way that the world has been. And it's going to be like that, barring transformation of the hearts and minds of people because of the work of the gospel or Jesus coming back. So what should you do, Christian? You should walk faithfully, proclaim the mercies of Christ, the excellencies of him who has saved you, and trust that he will redeem his people and that he will deal with all of this sin. Because I don't like it and I don't want my kids exposed to this. I don't want me exposed to this half the time. This is terrible. Why would you do such a thing? God will handle this. I don't have to have that battle. My battle is, in the, is not in flesh and blood. It's in the proclamation of the gospel in living out of scripture and trusting that it is God who works out whose hearts and minds will be changed. And I just walk faithfully in the meantime. This is good news for me, because otherwise the weight of creation rests on my shoulders. I'm not that big. I mean, I'm bigger than I should be, but I'm not that big. Especially this time of year. But anyway, I need to remember that it is not me who runs creation. It's God. It is my hope in him. That is abiding. It is his kingdom that will endure, and it is his word that should be proclaimed. Not mine, which is why I tell you, just because it's been two weeks. You ready? The minute we start talking about and commanding things that are outside of Scripture, what should you do? You throw things and run screaming from the room. Cause see, I told you it's been one whole week and you guys forget. See, this is why I don't go places. <laughs> I gotta get a bell so we can have drills, I'm telling you. No, Lou doesn't have any dents in his forehead, so he did a good job. (laughs) But that's why that warning is so important, because that's where we rest. Build your life. What's the description for building your life on anything other than the commands of Christ? That's sinking sand that's destruction. That's death. That means when you're building upon anything other than scripture, you're building upon worldly ideas, worldly wisdom. It will not and it cannot stand. Verse 13. So they will be gathered and the jealousy of Ephraim will depart. Whenever you're reading in your prophets and you suddenly switch to Ephraim, that's just a uh, shorthand for the northern kingdom of Israel. So that's Israel, northern kingdom, Judah, southern kingdom. All right. So the jealousy of Ephraim will depart. Those who harass Judah will be cut off. Ephraim will not be jealous of Judah and Judah will not harass Ephraim. They will swoop down on the slopes of the Philistines on the west. Together they will plunder the sons of the east. They will possess Edom and Moab and the sons of Ammon will be subject to them. In other words, when God has gathered his people, and he has redeemed them together, they will finally be a united people of God. This is what it's supposed to look like. Again, I always use this verse, but it's always helpful. This is one of those you should stick in your brain. 1 Peter 2. You are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for God's own possession, so that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you were once not a people, but now you are the people of God. You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Always remember, you should have more in common with the Christian on the other side of the world than you do the pagan down the street. If you do not, then you are not living against this world, you are living according to it. Now what I mean by that is, well, they have a different culture. They have a different language, yes. But they too should be living against the course and pattern of this world and following the kingdom of God. You should as well. While that may look different in an Asian culture than it does in a Western American culture, than it does in an African culture, than it does in anywhere else, it should still look different from the world around you. If it doesn't, then start examining your life, figuring out the places that you're supposed to be going to war, and do what? Go to war. This is where you abide. This is where you live. The, sin things, the, the things of sin that you confront now are different than the things of sin they confronted 500 years ago. The power behind them is the same. The influences that are driving them are exactly the same. This is why I always point out to you guys, every time they come up with a new abomination, you know what the root cause of it is? Did God really say? That's it. That's the argument. Did God really say? Christian, what's the answer? Yes! Yes, he did. Yet, yeah, how do I know that? Oh, they put it in a book. Look, look, it's right, right here. We can show you. Look, he said it right, right there. He actually said it. Now, 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 what? See, well, you're just silly. You're uneducated. You stupid Christians. You don't believe in science, and you don't know your history. This is what they'll say. You know what? You know what they say when you agree with them? The exact same thing. The exact same thing. You will never be granted a seat at the world's table unless you are willing to surrender everything. And the mistake we make in cultures, we go, okay, we'll give you this. Are we okay now? Oh, okay, we're not okay now. All right, all right, all right, we'll give you this. Are we okay now? Oh, darn it, not okay yet. Okay, we'll give you this. And then you start looking around, and you're like, where did we start again? <laughs> and how did we get here? And, and how do we get back? When sin comes knocking at the door, the answer is what, Christian? No. How do I know who it is? Because I am grounded and anchored into who Christ is and what he has proclaimed in this world. I am trusting not in this world for my security, not in this place for my hope, but in the kingdom that is to come. And by the way, if this is your struggle, don't feel bad. I, Isaiah wrote this like 2,600 years ago. <laughs> it's been a struggle for humanity for a while. We can, just, we can just leave it at that. Because what's the temptation constantly? The pull comes from this way, the tug comes from that way, a little bit of shove, just a little bit of a nudge. And <sighs> here we are, which is why you have to evaluate how often. Constantly looking around, seeing where we are, trusting in what? not my works to save me, but in Christ to save me, not in this world to be a good place, but in God's kingdom to be a good place, that I will have struggles and I will have difficulties, and by his mercy and by his grace, I will overcome. Always remember, we stick it on a coffee mug, right? We are more than conquerors. Paul was talking about people dying. Paul was talking about people being executed. And always remember, I, I will spare you the gory details. I save those for Wednesday nights. So if you're ever curious about the really, really gory stuff, we talk about that on Wednesdays. <laughs> Which, by the way, if I forgot to mention. We will be here Wednesday. If I forgot to mention that earlier. So, um, when Rome decided they wanted to kill you, they didn't have an ACLU. They didn't have like a legal system that's like, well, make sure it's humane. Which I've always wondered. Like, is there a polite way to kill people? Just, I mean, just had to out of curiosity, is there a polite way to do an execution, right? Like, at the end of the day, you're still what? <laughs> <laughs> like, there's an effective way and maybe a non-effective way to do it, but I'm not sure there's a nice way to do it. Like, I'm sorry, but, you know, what? You <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I don't think that's how that works. Rome, though, didn't think in those terms at all. Rome was like, okay, we got to kill this guy. How do we make it as painful as possible? And how do we make it take as long as possible? All right, what have you got? And then they, they, they would seriously like bid out the job and Dave would come and be like, hey, here's way. he'll hurt a lot and it'll take four days. Oh, that's pretty good. But Joe's got a way it'll take five days. So we're going to go with Joe on this one, okay? I mean, we, and, and by the way, that's not new in history either. And that's not old in history. That's that's still to this day. The, um, the Russians during their lovely little Stalin run, they had executioners who were like, no, 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 they're not loud enough while I eat my dinner. And, and, I'm, not, and I'm not even kidding about that part. So... This is what humanity does because this is what a heart of stone lives for. There's no peace here. There's no security here. But there isn't God. There isn't his kingdom. And that's where we have to walk towards. And that's what we have to persevere towards. And we will by his grace because he is accomplished. And we win that way. So when the world despises you, when the world tries to kill you, when the world calls you stupid, you win. Because I have stand firm upon the truth. And nothing has shaken, and nothing will be taken, and my hope will be realized because it will be securely placed in the only place it can be realized, which is in the fulfillment of Christ and his work. So, oh, hang on. let's turn the page, and then I can drink the water. There we go. Verse 15. And the Lord will utterly destroy the tongue of the sea of Egypt, and he will wave his hand over the river with his scorching wind, and he will strike it into seven streams and make men walk over dry shod. That's a really nice, poetic, fancy way of saying judgment's coming. And take away water from a nation. You know what you've taken away from them? Yeah, pretty much. I mean, the, uh, the tongue of the Sea of Egypt, that's the Nile. You do realize in history, Egypt is called the gift of the Nile because without the Nile River, there is no Egypt. Without the flooding, Egypt... Ooh, hang on. I have an excuse to grab the map. Dun-da-da-da! da dun, dun, dun. right, you ready? Dan did such a good job in this because he basically did it like a satellite map. You see all that yellow stuff? You can't live there. Okay, I mean, well, some people can, but it's not like you can build a city there because you know what that yellow stuff is? Yeah, it's desert, it's rock, it's sand, nothing grows there, basically nothing lives there. If you can figure out a way to digest sand or the fleas that it produces, then maybe I think you can make it, but other than that, you're doomed. You wanna live where the green stuff is. Look at Egypt. What is it? And by the way, it would look like this if the map kept going farther south. See all that yellow? The only reason there's any green there is because the Nile River floods and deposits river silt. Other, that's the only reason they have topsoil. It's not like the Midwest here where you have black dirt like three feet deep. They, they have no black dirt. They just have like sand and dust and then the river floods and provides them with something they can grow on. If God takes that river from them, they are doomed. Judgment is complete, which again, Christian, should be a joy to you because you hate sin. You hate what it does to you. You hate what it does to the world. You hate what it does to the people around you. God will judge it. God will deal with it. Revelation 6. The kings of the earth, the great men, the commanders, the rich and the strong, and every slave and free man hid themselves in the caves and among the rocks of the mountains. They said to the mountains and the rocks, Fall on us. Hide us from the presence of him who sits on the throne and from the wrath of the Lamb. For the great day of their wrath has come, and who is able to stand? When God decides you're done, what will save you? There you go. Verse 16. And there will be a highway from Assyria for the remnant of his people who will be left, just as there was for Israel in the day that they came up out of the land of Egypt. This is why we have to be careful of how we present Christ into the world. Because in the midst of judgment, what is there? There is salvation. There are always two sides of the coin. While God is judging sin, he is saving his people. While God is saving his people, he is judging sin. While God is carrying you forward to his kingdom, he is disciplining you to drive the foolishness and the sin out of you. Think of it like your kids. Maybe I should say, think of it like your spouse, too. (laughs) You've never had that day where you love that person, but I really don't like them. You've never experienced that, have you? Never once, have you? Or you've looked at somebody who's in your house and be like, I love you to death, but if you don't leave me alone right now, we might find out just how close to that we're going to (laughs) come. Because there are days you love your kids, but you're not really sure you like them in that moment. And there are days you love your spouse, but you need a minute. And vice versa. God is capable of chewing gum and walking down the street at the same time. He is capable of saving you, of redeeming you, and driving the sin away from you. He is capable of rescuing you from the judgment that he is bringing while continuing to bring the judgment. And he is capable of purging and pruning sin out of this world while protecting you in the midst of it. And that is what you're seeing in the prophets. And by the way, this is another one of those things, when you read your prophets, always look for that. Always look for that. Because in this section of Isaiah, if you listen to the secular scholars who don't believe their Bible, they would tell you this is the judgment parts of Isaiah, the first half of the book. That doesn't look very judgy to me. That looks very salvific to me. Because it is. Because there is no talk of judgment in your Bible without talk of salvation and redeeming God's people. So, chapter 6 in Revelation asks the question, who can stand in the wrath of God? Revelation 7. After these things I looked and behold... A great multitude, which no one could count, from every nation, all tribes and peoples and tongues, standing before the throne and before the Lamb, clothed in white robes, palm branches were in their hands. I can wonder why they're using palm branches. I wonder what that could be reminding you of. You know, maybe the exaltation and humiliation of Christ. Maybe the reminder of the deity and how... His work saves. Always remember these things. And they cry out with a loud voice saying, Salvation to our God who sits upon the throne and to the Lamb. And all the angels were standing around the throne and around the elders and the four living creatures. And they fell on their faces before the throne and they worshiped God saying, Amen, blessing and glory and wisdom and thanksgiving and honor and power and might be to our God forever and ever. Amen. In other words, who can stand, Christian? Those who have washed their robes and made them white in the blood of the Lamb. Those whom God has redeemed from the judgment. Those whom God has rescued and secured in his kingdom. Christian, that's you! That's where you abide right now. You may be seeing judgment all around. You may be seeing sin and feeling like you are overcome. You are not overcome. You are secure in Christ. And no matter what happens, as the psalm tells you, whether the heavens are shaken and the mountains fall into the sea, you will not be afraid because you will stand firm in the knowledge of who God is and that he has redeemed you from sin, that he has redeemed you from the judgment, and he has placed you securely, righteously before his throne. Now, we tell you all of that story so we can get to chapter 12. Yay! <laughs> Therefore, 12.1. Then you will say on that day, I will give thanks to you, O Lord, for although you were angry with me, your anger is turned away and you comfort me. Christian, there's your perspective day in and day out. It is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. It is the recognition, if I could speak English, of all that Christ has done and all that he has redeemed you from. Because, let's be honest. When you see the sin of the world, what do you want? Do you want a little bit of judgment, or do you want you want a lot of? There's um oh I have to look for this one of these days. There's this great comedy uh, group. There's two guys called the Skit Guys. They're hysterical. They're absolutely hysterical. They they have this um they have this skit that they do on Psalm 139, and one of them pretends to be God, and he starts rolling his eyes back and shaking. He goes, "What are you doing? I'm smiting people." <laughs> because let's be honest, if you were God for five minutes, what would you be doing? You'd be spiting people. And then they stop. And go, did you get that guy over there? No, hold on. I'll be right back. And then they go on with the skit. They're hysterical. They teach good theology. It's fun. I got to see them in person once and they, they did their, um, their Adam and Eve skit on sin entering the world. And I missed half of it because I was laughing so hard. I had to go buy the DVD just so I could watch it and see all the stuff that I missed. So go look them up. They'll do you good. But that's what you want. You want judgment. You want smiting on sin and you want all of it, and you want it when? Do you want it on your sin? (laughs) You don't want your sin smited, do you? No, 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 no. Let's let's prune that. Let's forgive that part, but let's smite theirs. Deal? No deal. Okay, okay. Let's try this again. Um, (laughs) That's the way you think in this world, but Christian, that's where you live, This is why it is the kindness of God that leads you to repentance. You were due that smiting that you want on everybody else's sin, but God has taken that penalty upon himself. God has taken your iniquity, your guiltiness, and he has given you his righteousness. Therefore, you are now clean, and you are holy, and you will stand before the throne, and you will rejoice. That's why you should be thankful. That's why you should be secure in this world, because you see it rightly. We stop seeing it rightly, and we let the world just keep taking a baseball bat to us because we think they're winning. (laughs) What were the last words from the cross again? It is finished. Done. Accomplished. However it's translated, I don't care. It is finito. It is done. Over with. Kaput. Done. You pick your word. It's there. I'm, I'm, at, I'm, I'm not a thesaurus and I'm out here. <laughs> this is how you should live in light of the world around you. This is the reminder that Peter gives you, 1 Peter 1. If you address as the Father, the one who impartially judges according to each one's work, conduct yourselves in fear during your stay on earth, knowing that you were not redeemed with perishable things like silver or gold. You know that stuff we throw away, that, that useless silver and gold that nobody likes. <laughs> perishable things. From your feudal way of life inherited from your forefathers, but with the precious blood as of a lamb, unblemished and spotless, the blood of Christ. It is remembering this each and every day that is our strength and it is our hope. Things like Colossians 3. If you have been raised up with Christ, keep seeking the things above, where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on the things above, not on the things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ who is our life is revealed, then you also will be revealed with him in glory. See, that's your perspective in the world. That's how you avoid, that's how you actively are in the world without being of the world. That's how you avoid the depression and the sadness when you see the darkness. As you recognize, what are sinners going to do? They're going to sin. And what is a sinful world going to produce as its main production? Amazingly enough, they're gonna reproduce, and when they and when you think that sin has carved out its little niche, and they'd be like, Okay, they have gone this far, surely they shall be satisfied. What will they do? They will look up and say, Ooh, ooh, look, we can go farther. We can have more corruption, we can have more degradation, we can have more perversion. Go us! When do the locusts stop eating? Never. Ever, 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 ever. When there's one left, I think is how locusts work. (laughs) Then the last guy's like, hey, wait a minute. Where'd everybody go? And where's all the food? (laughs) This didn't get me anywhere. Amazingly, where does sin get us? This is, we look at the world and we see that behavior and we go, oh my goodness, I can't believe it. Now what do we do? We walk faithfully. We know that it is dealt with. We know that it is defeated. And we know that that is not where we abide. Because God has rescued us from this. He has plucked us out, and he has placed us righteously in his throne, and he will usher us into his good kingdom. That's why Isaiah can continue. Behold. All right, we haven't done this in a while. What should you do every time you hear behold? Stop, pay attention, something important is coming. Think of it like a flashing yellow light in the highway, right? Behold, God is my salvation. I will trust and not be afraid. For the Lord God is my strength and song, and he has become my salvation. Now remember, that's the language from the judgment part of the book. That's the judgment sections of the book. It's a reminder, Christian, that when this comes upon the world, when God moves, you will are secure. When they feel like they are conquering, they have conquered nothing. As they move, you have overcome. Psalm 27. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? When evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries and my enemies, they stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, My heart will not fear. The war rise against me. In spite of this, I shall be confident. I'm so tempted to sing bad 60s songs, but I'm going to stop. I'm going to stop. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna to behave. I'm going be, to behave myself. <laughs> Hebrews 13 gives you the same message. Make sure that your character is free from the love of money, being content with what you have, for he himself has said, I will never desert you, nor will I ever forsake you, so that we may confidently say, the Lord is my helper. I will not be afraid. What will man do to me? Which, by the way, we don't always get in this habit. Slow down sometimes when you read your Bible. Look, sometimes I get it. You're reading your Bible just because you need to read your Bible, and if you, you, you want to make sure you get through the readings. I get that. But try to set aside some time for yourself and actually read it the way that it's written. You know, those punctuation marks matter on occasion. Read the questions like they're questions. Read them like they have some emotion behind them. Typically, we fall like Psalm 27. This is what we'll do. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? You ever get the people you ever buy the Bible on CD? Isn't that what they always sound like? No, wait, they don't sound like that. You know what they do? They all have a British accent. The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? That's what they sound like. There we go. <laughs> Sorry. See what my wife has to live with. Look. Does that does that there, there's nothing, there's no there there. No. The Lord is my light and my salvation. Whom shall I fear? The Lord is the defense of my life. Whom shall I dread? Evildoers come upon me to devour my flesh, my adversaries, my enemies. They stumbled and fell. Though a host encamp against me, my heart will not fear. Though war rise against me, in spite of this, I shall be confident. Read it like it means something, because it actually does. It will do you good, and you will pick up on the things that God is explaining. You want the Reader's Digest version? 2 Timothy 1. God has not given us a spirit of timidity but of power and love and discipline. That's where we are supposed to be resting. So we can continue. Verse 3. Therefore, you will joyously draw water from the springs of salvation. And in that day you will say, give thanks to the Lord. Call on his name. Make known his deeds among the peoples. Make them remember that his name is exalted. Christian, there you go. There's your marching orders in light of everything that you know of God, of all that he is and all that he has accomplished for you, his people, now what? We should sit in the corner and be quiet. <laughs> Does that even make sense? I mean, you wouldn't do that with a cake. I'm, I'm serious. You've never, you've, you've, I guarantee you at some point, you have been to some holiday function or some party, and you found the good dessert. You know what you did? You grabbed the person you cared about to the party, and you did what? This is, no, no, not that dessert, this dessert. Why? Because this is the good one. Eat this one. See, you didn't do that for the people you don't like at the party because you don't want them to have any, but you did that. You did that for like the spouse if you liked them that day and maybe for the kids, depending on, especially for like the grandparents, because you know, they only eat the little piece and that gives you a bigger piece. I'm waiting for those days. When does that kick in? Like 60, 70? Like when you suddenly like, I just want a half a slice, <laughs> Like I only remember my grandparents were ever like, we want the, can, take that pie, slice of pie and cut it in half. And I'm looking at them going, when does that start? Because I'm not looking forward to this. <laughs> Again, the thoughts that keep me out of the really good schools, I keep telling you this. But no, you find a really good meal or a really good dessert or a really great restaurant, what do you do? You tell everybody, especially when you find a really good restaurant because you want them to go spend their money so the place doesn't close because you want to be able to do what? Go back. So he, no, no, don't go eat at that one, go eat at this one. This is the good one you've found redemption for sins. You have found righteousness in the face of corruption. You have found a hope and a security. Are we supposed to sit there and go, no, I can't argue against the world. I can't tell you your sin is wrong. I can't tell you the right way to go because that wouldn't be very nice. That's dumb. What's the rule? Don't do dumb things. And when is that rule in effect? just making sure and by the way I was right Jada wore that hoodie the whole way going and the whole way coming back I know I know I was getting a kick out of people in the gas stations looking at her whenever we went to, the, to have to go to the bathroom because <laughs> the hoodie's like as big as she is and she's like <laughs> but instead we should do what proclaim who we are because the who we are is dictated by the why behind it because of who Christ is, what the Holy Spirit is doing and how he has changed our hearts and our minds and how he is empowering to move forward. So no, I will not participate in those unfruitful deeds of darkness. Instead, I will go, hey, those are unfruitful deeds of darkness. We should go this way. That's bad. God's commands are good. Hey, look, there's more unfruitful deeds of darkness. You know what? We're not going to do. We're not going to go that way. Instead, we're going to do this. Go, therefore, make disciples of all the nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all that I commanded you, and I am with you always, even to the end of the age. So we miss that part? Why can you do the first part? Why can you make disciples and teach them? Because Christ has not abandoned you. He has not forsaken you. The Spirit is with you. You are empowered. The Word bears fruit. Proclaim the gospel and trust who? God. John 7. On the last day, the great day of the feast, Jesus stood up and cried out, saying, If anyone is thirsty, let him come to me and drink. He who believes in me, as the scripture said, from his innermost being will flow rivers of living water. But this he spoke of the Spirit, whom those who, he, who believed in him were to receive. For the Spirit was not yet given, because Jesus was not yet glorified. You ready? Um, get to the book of Acts, and you know what you see? Jesus is glorified, and the Spirit is given, and this is fulfilled, because that's where you live today, Christian. Verse 5, praise the Lord in song, for he has done excellent things. Let this be known throughout the earth. Cry aloud, shout for joy, O inhabitant of Zion, for great in your midst is the Holy One of Israel. In light of all that God is, the righteous judge, the King of creation, in light of all that he has done, that he has redeemed us from the curse, that he has presented us before himself righteous, that he has granted us access to, To the kingdom that he is building. Now what? How now shall we live? Psalm 150. Praise the Lord. Praise God in his sanctuary. Praise him in his mighty expanse. Praise him for his mighty deeds. Praise him according to his excellent greatness. Because he is redeemed and he is changed. Hebrews 4. Live thinkingly, live evaluating Sure, we'll go with that. <laughs> Sorry, I had a theme going. <laughs> live paying attention, with eyes open, knowing that the light is shining. Because this is who we are in Christ. Not afraid, not cast out, not worried about the darkness, but overcomers of the darkness. In Christ, recognizing that as we are faithful, they can't take it away. Because it has been granted by God and we are secure. So we can live and walk and know that the day is coming when this will be undone. And that will be a good day. Because it will be a day when God's people are finally One people, not scattered to the winds, not living in the midst of their sin, but gathered together, worshiping before the throne in righteousness and holiness and peace and truth. And there will be no more fear and no more worry and no more death because he has completed his work. That's where you walk towards each and every day, Christian. Do it based on who Christ is. Live it out based on what he has told us in his word and know that there is nothing that they have out there that is better, worth it, or can overcome that. Do not worry about their insults. Do not worry about their hatred. But know that it is God who is redeemed and it is God who holds us. Let's pray.